Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, evidence of a race or several races of little people tunneling beneath the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I get descriptions like the moon people that have the light blue skin and the big eyes, which almost sound alien to me. Then we have the traditional Cherokee people that are little people that look a lot like Cherokee in coloring, you know, with the hair and the skin. There's a third kind that were described as having red whiskers and squinty eyes, and the Cherokee did not like those, and they would kill them. This podcast is brought to you by BrightBiz. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 30 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy. I know there are a lot of websites out there. They offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in some annoying recurring program. Don't worry, this isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. BrightBiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com freebusinesstoolbox.com that's freebusinesstoolbox.com Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett pursuing the truth wherever it leads exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. I was actually inspired uh, to talk about little people on uh, today's podcast after reading an article in the online edition of the Daily London Express uh, last week. It was about the discovery some 13 years ago. Uh, experts found the remains of nine man-like creatures on the island of Flores, which is an island in the Philippines, and they have been named Homo floresensis, or more colloquially, the hobbits. And it's been thought this small race of humans lived as recently as 12,000 years ago. But thorough bone analysis reveals that the most recent bone discovery dated back 60,000 years, while hobbit stone tools 
were thought to be something like 50,000 years old. So, there were walking upon the earth a race of hobbits. But what if there were even smaller races of humanoids that walked upon the earth? Little people have been a part of the folklore of many cultures in human history, including Ireland, Greece, the Philippines, as I mentioned, the Hawaiian Islands, uh, Indonesia, and Native Americans also have told legends of a race of little people who lived in the woods near sandy hills and sometimes near rocks located along large bodies of water, such as the Great Lakes. They're often described as hairy-faced dwarfs in stories. A petroglyph illustration show them with horns on their head and traveling in a group of five to seven per canoe. And native legends often talk of the little people playing pranks on people, such as singing and then hiding when an inquisitive person searches for the music. It's often said that the little people love children and would take them away from bad or abusive parents. Or if the child was without parents and left in the woods to fend for themselves, they would take care of them. Other legends say the little people, if seen by an adult human, would beg them not to say anything of their existence and then would reward those who kept their word by helping them and their family out in times of need. From tribe to tribe, there are variations of what the little people's mannerisms were like and whether they were good or evil. One of the common beliefs is that the little people created distractions to cause mischief. They were believed to be gods by some. One North American native tribe believed that the, they lived in nearby caves, and the caves were never entered for fear of disturbing the little people. Well, we are in search of the little people on this episode, specifically the Cherokee little people. After World War II, a digging and expansion project at what is now Western Carolina University, uh, workers there found networks of little tunnels, square cut in red clay, as well as small skeletons. Though it seems uh, that there may have been an effort by the university to cover up these findings. Mary A. Joyce has worked in two major metropolitan area newspapers as a writer, columnist, artist, Sunday magazine editor, and feature editor. On the side, she's written magazine articles and a number of books. Currently, she's the editor of the Sky Ships Over Cashiers website, which features cutting-edge topics. She's also worked for the world's largest private printing company, a major metropolitan air pollution control agency, a community college and for political campaigns. She is the author of Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains, Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us, and Cherokee Little People Were Real. Mary Joyce, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for uh, letting me be on your show with you. Talk to me about Walter Middleton and that remarkable conversation you had. Well, I'll tell you what, when he's the first person that let me really know that uh, Cherokee little people uh, were real. And uh, at first, I didn't think any of that was anything but uh, Cherokee legends and myths. And he said, no, these are real. He said, um, when he was a young man right after World War II, uh, he was involved with doing construction pro um, projects on Western Carolina University campus. And it, whenever they were cutting into raw uh, virgin soil, they would find these little tunnels. And they weren't made by rodents because they were square cut, They were except on the top. And the top part of all these tunnels were arched, which, you know, if you know anything about uh, engineering, that makes them stronger. And it seemed like any place that they did construction over a number of years, 
they would run into these little tunnels and little skeletons. And, um, it, you know, uh, he led me to other old timers um, and they each told me what they had seen. Most of them were involved with construction on the campus back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And how would you characterize these uh, these individuals? Uh, talk to me about their character. These are... Uh, yeah, I think that's real yeah. important. I think that's important because uh, if I hadn't been impressed with the men, uh, I probably wouldn't have done the book that I did. Uh, this man was a survivor of the Bataan Death March during World War II. He came back and he served as a pastor for 42 years here in this area. And he also wrote three books. And one of them was about the Indians and did touch briefly on, on the little people. So he came with some really good credentials. He remained a, a local uh, hero, uh, you know, here in uh, the mountains. And then another one that was very, very important uh, was Johnny Clayton. And he was known throughout the area he, uh, for uh, being a painter as one that would do buildings. And he was a volunteer uh, with the fire department and active in his church and, and just, you know, somebody that everybody loved. He had a great sense of humor um, and he was just well respected when he had his, when they had his funeral. Uh, the church was packed, so he was very well respected. Uh, the other men, uh, there were two of them that had their own uh, uh, landscaping type business, business and uh, you know earth moving equipment, and uh, that's that's the general gist of it. And some of the men also uh, had double exposure to some of these tunnels um, when they were young boys. They used to go down into the basement of the oldest building on WCU campus now. And they would go through the janitor's closet, and there were these tunnels that went into the raw dirt um, back behind there. And they were, you know, just grade school boys, and they would dare each other to go in there because they were kind of spooked out by it. Um, so we'd, we'd hear those kind of stories. And then when these men grew up, they were involved with... Uh, actually doing construction projects, you know, pouring cement or digging sewer lines. And uh, so they have a lifetime of being exposed to these uh, little tunnels. The the oldest man, well, he may not have been the oldest, but he certainly was exposed to the tunnels at the earliest age. His father uh, ran a mica mine, and when he was six or seven years old, he remembers uh, the men coming back to his home uh, and they were all excited telling his father about the, uh, these little, this little tunnel they had just found. And these four miners had been in a tunnel that they had dug. And all of a sudden, their wheelbarrow and their shovels and everything went right through the floor of the tunnel. And there was another tunnel beneath that that was uh, too small for regular humans to go in, but clearly had been... Uh, cut by, you know, something that was very human. And so he had known about those since he was uh, six or seven. And the irony of it is there's a lot of superstition around here where people say, well, if you talk about the little people, you'll die. Well, he's certainly proof that that is just superstition because he was in his late 80s when he died. When Middleton and the others who were working on extensions to Western Carolina University discovered these tunnels, they, I mean, first of all, they must have been absolutely 
uh, just stunned. But did they, did they take care not to disturb them? Were they told to not talk about them? What happened after they discovered them initially? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because what I heard from these different gentlemen was that at the time, they weren't that excited about it. They are more excited about it in hindsight. In other words, they were uh, young and dumb and really didn't understand what this really, really meant. Uh, and once they became older and realized that this is really significant, that a, a race of little people, you know, actually dug these tunnels. And, um, you know, they also found a, a child-sized skeleton. And one of the professors had it on his desk, and he thought it was a, a child skull from an Indian mound. And there was actually an English high school teacher who came by and picked up this um, little skull that he was kind of using like a decorative paperweight. And when she looked at it, she said, this is not a child skull. It has all its wisdom teeth. So, uh, you know, they they found those kind of things, too. And there's a lot of support for this from other things besides these men having their testimonies. Uh, there's one man who, at the age of five, he was here in this area when there was a, a, just a tremendous flood of the Tuckasegee River. And we're talking serious flooding. They, and um, obviously land had been washed away. And this little boy found what he called a lead head. And it was a, it was a very heavy uh, metal um, like a medallion, about an inch and a quarter in length, kind of oval-shaped. It had a perfect um, leprechaun-type face on each side of it, and each side of it was just slightly different, and there was a seam. So it had been molded and put together, and it was washed out during this flood from, you know, many layers of history deep. And uh, I do have a photograph of that in, in the book that I did. And... Uh, Next to it, I have a, a drawing or an illustration of a leprechaun, and, and they look surprisingly the same. So that's that was a piece of um, circumstantial evidence. Um, another piece was um, there's a rock in this area. It's the largest petroglyph in this state and one of the largest in the southeast. And it's called Judicola Rock, and it has these markings all over it. Nobody, including the Cherokee, had been able to decipher the meaning of the markings. And this is in the same area where the little medallion was found. This is not, uh, this is just south of this uh, Western Carolina University campus uh, where all the tunnels were found. And that's like another piece of the puzzle. Um, uh, it, you know, we can only maybe guess that perhaps the little people were responsible for those markings on the stone since the Cherokees know nothing about it. Did Middleton and his crew discover tools, any other artifacts, pieces of pottery, anything uh, that might uh, yield some clue clues as to, to who these little people were? Um, I'll answer that. First of all, no, they did not find tools. They, on one of the tunnels that has been found since then, um, actually closer to town, uh, you can see tool marks on the side of the um, the tunnels. And there was a, a major uh, construction project going on, so they kind of cut away part of a mountainside to build this large building. And in the process of doing that, they found a number of these little tunnels. 
And the uh, the man in charge of construction said uh, that when they cut into those, the clay was still damp and moist as if they had just been made. And he's the one that noticed the tool scrape marks on the side of the uh, of the tunnel walls. Um, so I don't know what you know what that means. But we have no tools. We have the skeletons. Um, How many skeletons, Mary? I do not know, and this is where we get into a whole different uh, problem. I have approached the university um, to try to get them to, you know, reveal some of this information because supposedly they have uh, the little skeletons in their forensic storage area. Supposedly, according to um, uh, one student who had graduated from the anthropology department, uh, they also have the skeletons of, of two uh, giants with six toes. Now, the universities have two reasons for covering things up like this. One, uh, they don't want their building projects slowed down. And you know that if an archaeological find is found, um, you know they have to stop construction until certain things or procedures are taken. So that's one thing, because that campus has been expanding very rapidly and they don't want to stop it. And I'm not just pulling that out of the air. Um, there were, uh, I was contacted by a man who had graduated from the college, and he and some buddies, when they were still students, were down by the river just horsing around. And the head um, of security, a man who I had personally met, was walking by them, and he had something that was a little bit larger than a shoebox. And he got into a discussion with these guys. And he was taking, he said, these were some of the little bones they found when they were building such and such a building. He was taking them to rebury them on an old ATV trail. And uh, so, you know, you get that kind of support that's kind of weird, but it still gives support to the idea that there really was something going on around here. Are there any newspaper clippings uh, from, let's say, the, the early 20th century, late 19th century from archaeologists? Because there, obviously we know there are scores of reports of archaeologists coming across these, you know, the skeletal remains of giants in these giant earth mounds. Anything like that in, in, the, um, in the newspaper archives? Uh, no, and I did pursue that course. I kept thinking that I would find that kind of information. If I had, I wouldn't have done the book, but I couldn't find anything. The oldest uh, article that I found was one about a movie theater being built in uh, on the main street in Silva, which, I, which is oh, probably about 15 minutes from the campus. And when they were building that, they found these little tunnels. But I haven't found anything of an archaeological... Uh, uh, you know, source. Um, one of the reasons that I did the book with a whole lot of uh, actual conversation with the witnesses and with a lot of maps and locations and photographs is because I'm hoping that maybe some really serious archaeologists will somehow be able to get over the hurdles and maybe do some more, uh, you know, research uh, because I pinpointed where these things have been found. Why do we call them Cherokee little people? Uh, they orig- Well, let me back up. Um, the Cherokee didn't originate here in these mountains. They originally were in the Great Lakes area, and they migrated here to the mountains. When they came here, 
they saw well-tended gardens, but they didn't see any people. And eventually, they saw these little people coming out from beneath the ground. They would uh, take care of the gardens uh, at nighttime, and so the Cherokee originally called them the moon people. Um, they They were described as having blue skin and large eyes, and they probably didn't survive well in sunlight, is my guess. Um, so that's the, that was the first name for it. Then the Cherokees more recently, they moved in here, and they, the two cultures apparently overlapped. And that's when they got the, the general name of the Cherokee little people. And how do so, how, how do these stories? They don't all look. They don't all look the same, by the way. Oh. I get descriptions like the Moon people that have the light tint blue skin and the big eyes, which almost sound alien to me. Uh, then we have the the traditional Cherokee people that are little people that look a lot like Cherokee in coloring, you know, with the hair and the skin. There's a third kind uh, that were described as having red whiskers and squinty eyes. And the Cherokee did not like those, and they would kill them. But they, the ones that looked more like them, they they were friendly with. Um, how, so how do you, all how, little people are not the same. No, no, apparently not. How do these stories come down to us from the Cherokee? Um, when I first moved here, I had a job where uh, I was able to get to know people in the area and over time the Cherokees began to trust me. I, I wouldn't have been able to get some of their information cold. I couldn't have just gone there like a reporter with a notebook in hand. It wouldn't have worked. Uh, but since they got to know me, they were willing to talk about it and uh, many of them uh, tell me that they still there are still little people living in the remote parts of the reservation. And I've heard about this since uh, 1999 is when I first heard about it. And it wasn't until, I think it was last year, somebody got a picture that may actually be a real little person. They, the, the, the couple lives on a mountain ridge, and they have a, a security or a game camera set up. And the picture that they sent me looks like um, the backside of somebody walking away through the woods uh, without clothes. And we wouldn't have even gotten that except a turkey walked in front of the webcam, and so we can see this in the difference in the, in the distance. And what I did, to, the first step I took to see if that was real or not was I changed the density of the photo, and when I did that with pictures of ghosts, there would be no color change. They would still stay, stay kind of in a white kind of appearance. In this particular figure, when I turned up the color uh, concentration, it became uh, like a red tint of, that you only see when somebody's alive. Mm. And so that gave us, um, uh, you know, a reason to believe that we might really have caught a picture of a little person, which is very difficult to do. Where where could we see that? Is that is that in in it's your on book? The website. It's on the website. It's, no, that's on the website, and that's skyshipsovercashers.com. And it would be we have a section called ETs and Bigfoot. It would be under that section, and I think it was the end of last year. So have, we have archives in every section. All right. Um, 
Now, you mentioned that the Cherokee didn't like the the one particular type of little person. They had red whiskers and squinty eyes. Yeah, why, and I don't know why, I don't know why they didn't like them, but they didn't like them. So, this has been passed down through the oral tradition primarily then from the Cherokee, is that right? Um the story about the red-whiskered one was actually coming through a man that you've already mentioned, uh, uh, Middleton, and also Johnny Clayton. They were two of the uh, oldest uh, men that I interviewed. And these interviews were back in 2000, 2001. At the time, I, I, I realized I was getting information that apparently hadn't been recorded anywhere. So I put it kind of in an academic uh, book, so to speak, just to save the information. And then there was so much interest in it that I decided to make a regular book out of it. And then I went and I, I did, uh, you know, compile more information, got lots of photos and maps and, and uh, you know, so it becomes a, a more than just an academic uh, recording. I wonder if these Cherokee little people had dogs, little dogs. That would be great if there were teeny tiny little dogs, even smaller than, say, the tiniest teacup poodle. Imagine how easy they'd be to manage. But, of course, dogs come in all shapes and sizes. But no matter the size, we all want our pets to be loving and obedient. How would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence in order to eliminate bad behavior and create that obedient, well-behaved dog of your dreams? Well, a woman named Adrienne Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved. You can have the obedient, loving pet of your dreams by bringing out the hidden intelligence that exists inside all dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Well, that's what allows us to learn new behaviors. Your dog's brain has the same neuroplasticity. And with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. realbusinessbargains.com. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Mary Joyce is with us, the author of Cherokee Little People Were Real. Are these sightings particular to the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina, or uh, have you since discovered other little people populations or clusters elsewhere in the United States? Well, let me answer it two ways. One, there are stories of little people around the world, um, so it's not totally unusual. Uh, since my book came out, I was contacted by a man, and I was talking to him on the phone, and he sounded quite sane and sensible. So um, Evelyn Gordon and I, she's the other part of this this uh, website, um, we went to visit his property, and he had little. He says he has little people living on his land, and 
So we went there, and I didn't see any little people, but I did see a little footprint. I did see a well-worn path uh, to like a, a small cave entrance, which he said is where they go to their underground living facility. Um, the land is on a bluff overlooking a river. Part of the land is open, rolling pasture land, and the bulk of it is forest land or, you know, wooded land. And the little people seem to live in the wooded part of it. Um, and these he described as being totally different. He said uh, these were more like Europeans and uh, dressed differently. They wore leather pants that he said were somewhat similar to uh, lederhosen or lederhosen. And uh, he said the shirts that the men wear are a little bit like the old Western military with the double buttons on the front. Mm -hmm. Now, his story gets really interesting because his family's lived on this land for many generations. And they go, they still have some of the lineage of the Uchi Indians. And the, uh, he and his father and his grandfather and the grandfather before that have always been able to communicate with the little people. Um, and there seems to be some kind of bond between the Uchi Indians and the little people in that particular piece of property. Hmm. Um, I just on the, uh, I wanted to also ask you about your website, skyshipsovercashiers.com. Uh, great name. Can you, what's the origin of that? That's a wonderful name. Well, um, actually, we didn't know we were going to be getting into so many different cutting-edge topics when we started this website, which was, it'll be 10 years uh, ago this summer. And it started because there were so many UFOs being seen over the mountaintop town of Cashers, and that's how it got its name. Uh, in that greater Cashers area, uh, we're also having uh, Bigfoot experiences um, and so both of those phenomena are going up, going on in that area. It's right. a beautiful mountaintop town. It's you know very um, centrally located with lots of mountains and and forest around it. So you can still be in Cashers and be in in the country. And one of our best um, observers of the UFOs is a gal named Glennis Heenan, and she lives on a single lane gravel road. Uh, and she's able to see uh, the sky really clearly. And many of the photos we've gotten over the years have been ones that she's taken. The one that actually inspired us to do the website was taken by uh, her daughter, who at the time was eight years old. And in a nutshell, the, what happened was one night, uh, Glennis, the mother, uh, got up to get a late-night snack, and when she was leaving the kitchen, she noticed that the backyard was all lit up, and she thought, gee, that seems brighter than the full moon. And she went out, and there was a low hovering UFO over her backyard. Well, the next morning, the two adults in the house, which would be the little girl's mother and grandmother, were talking about it, and the little eight-year-old is listening to this. So when they went into um, town to go to the grocery store, uh, the little girl, uh, Devin, is out there snapping pictures of the sky. When they got home, uh, they found a, a picture that she'd taken of the sun, and right smack dab in the middle of the sun is what I call a stereo stereotypical uh, UFO, saucer-shaped UFO. And they were so excited about it that um, the mother called me, and uh, I drove 45 minutes up there so that you know I could see it fresh in the camera. 
and that was the the inspiration for paying more attention to uh, all the UFOs up there. We all have to pay more attention to what's flying up well, overhead. We look, no, we don't. We don't, we don't look up. We, we do don't not. Look up. We're looking at our feet. We're looking at our cell phone. We're, you know, we don't look up. That's absolutely true. And maybe now we have an, another excuse to look down, way down. Uh, the Cherokee little people were real. Uh, author and researcher Mary Joyce is uh, with me here on Conspiracy Unlimited. Now, uh, while I'm on the website, skyshipsovercashers.com. Again, direct me to that photograph of this little person uh, that, that was taken by a game camera, if you could. Okay, you want to put it? Okay, hold on. I don't know if I can find it quickly or not. We actually do so many stories, it's hard to find them. <laughs> so if I'm on the homepage and I go to... It's uh, definitely in the section called E.T.'s Bigfoot and Other Beings. There we go. Okay. So I'll click on that. And then we have... Game cam. I found it. It's the one, two, three, four. It's a, it's the fourth one down under the 2017 archives. 27. 2017. 2017. Archives. One, two. Okay. Hmm. Uh, is it... It's not up at the top. It's down. Do I scroll down? Um, yeah. It's the, it'd be the fourth story from the top. Okay. Or you can just click on, on the index there. Just click on the fourth one from the top. One, two, three, four. Uh, well, that says... Game at, camera photo may show Cherokee little person. This is the title. Huh. I am not seeing that. I see the fourth story... Are you story on the 20, 2017... Bigfoot, because I've got it right in front of me. 27. Oh, oh, there we are. Okay, there we are. Okay, I'll click on that. And ancient uh, race of little people uh, still live in Tennessee. Is that the one yeah, I need? No, uh-uh. Okay. All right. Have you got the page where it says 2017 ETs archives? E uh, hang on now. Why did that go there? Don't worry, I can edit this this out. Yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm at 2017 ET's Bigfoot and Other Beings. Game Cam. Oh, there it is. Here we are. Game Cam photo. May show That's Cherokee it. little yeah. person. Okay, so there's uh upper left portion of the photo on the left. An enlargement of that figure is on the right. Okay. Uh, and then down at the bottom. Oh, I, I see, yes. I do the uh, the thing with the ghost and with this photo where I do color sap, uh, uh, saturation. Right. And you'll notice that that photo becomes very magenta. Beneath that, I have a picture of a ghost crawling on the floor with a, a child behind it. When I increase the color separation, the child becomes magenta and the ghost stays white. Yes, I see that. Interesting. Interesting. And now the that... reason we checked on that because... You know, they began. To, the couple that saw this uh, began to think maybe they were seeing a ghost. Right, right. That's a fabulous ghost photo too. But that's another show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did we talk about Evelyn Gordon? Uh, no, she's the uh, silent partner behind all of this, who uh, tries to edit my material and uh, uh, catch my mistakes before they go on the website. Okay. And she is often with me when uh, we're doing some of the interviews and research. Right. Oh, I'm just looking here. The two of you made this trip to Eastern Tennessee. Now, this yes. uh, we, we talked about 
uh, that, correct? But something about a dictated message from the little people? Uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You're having me jump all over here. Yes. Um, let me open that one. This was Xander, and, the owner oh, yes. of Xander. Now, we, we did, if I remember correctly, there's four articles that are in a row. You, obviously, we, you found one of them. And um, after we had been there, um, the little people wanted us to know this, and they dictated a, a, a message to us through the man who owns the property. How did they communicate with him? They, can, they, can, um, they do it two ways. They can communicate like you and I do. They can also communicate telepathically. And they also can write in, they can print in English. They don't seem to be able to write. And if he likes to have something more concrete than just, you know, telepathic communication, and he will leave notes for them uh, near their cave on uh, three by five cards, and then they will answer him. And every time they answer him, they will write on the other side of the card he's written on, and they will leave a little crystal stone on top of it. Hmm. They mine them, these crystal stones? No, I, don't, I think they're just to be found around there. I don't I think see. you have to do anything unusual to find them. And I could be wrong about that. What was the dictated message to you? Uh, it's actually kind of lengthy. Well, just give and me the gist of it. Like, what did they want to tell you? Well, let's see. Let me, I don't want to look at what I've got there. I'm, we're just going to have to go on my memory right now. They are... They're very, very concerned, and they um, I've gotten confirmation of this also from a man with, who has top uh, cosmic top security clearance, and they are afraid of a certain race of ETs that I guess they're kind of like uh, reptilians, only maybe even worse, and the little people call them the dominators, and they're very afraid of them, and they, they, uh, you know, they would ask this man if if he could do something to, uh, you know, protect them from uh, the dominators. And they see the dominators as oh, ones that are causing all sorts of problems here on Earth and uh, working with the cabal. So does that possibly suggest that the the reptilians are? Also underground, they're literally under our feet, as as some ufologists have have posited that they are, they're not from some distant galaxy. They they live here under under our foot. Yeah, no, 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 I don't know if that's true or not because uh, everything that I've been able to piece together from these different conversations is that these have they're operating in vehicles in the in the upper atmosphere. And it's really, I mean, it's creepy. It's almost like I don't want to get into it. But if you get, if you go to another section that we have on the website, it's called uh, Deep Throat Testimonies. Yes. Uh, we have testimonies by um, this man, uh, Cosmic uh, Top Security Clearance. And he talks about the cabal in quite a bit of detail. So when the little people talk about the cabal and link it together with these, with this race of, uh, you know, nasty ETs, it's uh, very, very disturbing. But uh, he's, uh, I don't know, it's its just, it's, it's icky, really. And it's not anything brand new. I'm sure you know the stories about uh, uh, President Eisenhower being approached 
uh, first by Pleiadian type uh, ETs. Yes. And they, uh, you know, said that they would help us in many different ways, but we would have to give up our nuclear bombs or nuclear, you know, weapons. And we had just come out of World War II, and Eisenhower didn't want to do that. So everything I'm hearing from different directions, including this man, is that uh, deals were cut with, um, you know, races of uh, self-serving ETs. And originally, apparently, uh, Eisenhower agreed that the ETs could abduct some humans, but only in a limited way. And this would be done in exchange for uh, te- technological information. Um, and then it kind of got out of hand, and there were a lot more abductions going on than you know anybody ever thought. The dominators take this a step further because um, they the original negotiations, from what I can gather, uh, were done with the gray ETs. And what do you suppose is the connection between the ETs uh, and the little people? What, why do they seem to know so much about them, or why do they fear them? Uh, I, the the uh, little people, at least the ones uh, on this man's property in eastern Tennessee, um, are quite aware of what's going on in the world. And uh, they're very concerned about the future of the world. And um, I, I don't know what to tell you, except they're very, very concerned. Right. Uh, I just wanted to dial back to the um, accounts of uh, from the Cherokee about these moon people that had a slight blue tint to their skin, large eyes. And I'm not being flippant here, but I'm wondering whether, you know, the creators of the of uh, the popular kids' television series and movies about the Smurfs, whether they're actually trying to tell us something. Um, I don't dismiss anything that comes to us through science fiction and, and imaginative movies because I think many times they foretell things we will eventually learn about. Uh, I'll give you a real specific example. There's a, a man that uh, uh, I've got to know over a 10-year period who had been abducted as a boy living in, uh, I think it was Brooksville, Florida. And then he was eventually redeposited down and, you know, managed to get home. But his story was the inspiration for a movie called Flight of the Navigator. Oh, now, yes, of course, yes. Of course, the, you know, Disney went off and, you know, did much more than what this boy actually experienced, but that was the inspiration for it. And um, there's also, we did a story years ago about um, uh, Steven Spielberg, that he's been involved with um, letting information out um, and has been let in on, you know, certain types of information from, uh, let's say, government sources. So, yes, I think we ought to pay more attention to science fiction. So what's next, uh, Mary, in terms of your research of, of little people? Are you are you hoping perhaps to go back to eastern Tennessee and maybe make contact, direct contact with, with little people? Do you think that's possible? Well, um, it's not in my hands. I'm hoping that, you know, uh, when that message came through from them, uh, that happened, you know, sometime after that Evelyn and I were on that property, uh, maybe they will take the initiative again. Uh, the door is still open to the man who opens, you know, who owns the property, um, and something may come of it. I, I can't go tromping around without, you know, his permission. 
for their invitation, and he actually asked the little people initially if it was okay for me to come on the property uh, for the very first visit. So if they hadn't agreed to it, I wouldn't have gone the first time. Do you have any suppositions as to, uh, you mentioned that, that there are several, let's call them races of, of little people. One group may be uh, of extraterrestrial origin, but do you think that it's possible one of these groups or one of these species of little people are just another branch of the human family? I think genetically there's got to be some links. I don't think that, I mean, because physically uh, they look like it's just in a smaller version. Um, so, yeah, I think there's got to be a lot of genetic similarity. And the the whole thing about the genetics is fascinating. Um, do you Have you followed the work of um, Dr. Ketchum regarding DNA in the yes, Bigfoot? Yes, yes, I've talked to her. All right, and when when they finally finished the, the uh, research, um, they found out that the maternal side was uh, human and the paternal side was some unknown race that they didn't know what it was. So I think that there's been a lot of uh, uh, genetic uh, mixing throughout Earth's history, quite honestly. Well, this has been fascinating. Uh, where can people get uh, the Cherokee Little People Were Real? Um, I've done three books. They're all available on Amazon. And uh, uh, Cherokee Little People is one of them, and the other two have nothing to do with it. One is called uh, Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains, uh, and the other one is totally different. It's Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find. It's archaeological and scientific information that, you know, certainly uh, takes us beyond what's uh, uh, in the Bible. And uh, it's... Uh, you know, I just kind of follow my curiosity, and it takes me in different directions. Well, we'll uh, I'll definitely have you back on if you're game, and we'll we'll do two more shows at least. We'll certainly talk about the military bases, and uh, of course, archaeological uh, evidence for for Jesus. Always a favorite topic of mine. Thank you so much, Mary. Great meeting you. It was great talking to you. Thank you too, Mary Joyce. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. Just a reminder, however, to get in on the weekly draw, which happens Fridays. What you need to do is rate and review this podcast, grab a screenshot of that, and then email it to me at richardserrett one at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your full name and mailing address. And then all the emails are printed out and they go into the ginormous cheese puffs jar. And then, as I say, be listening to Friday's podcast towards the tail end when I draw the name of one lucky winner who receives a copy of my Strange Planet CD Volume 1 or 2. Now, I've been talking to you for weeks and weeks about Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract and how it provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body. And it's done wonders for me and my overall health and well-being and most importantly, my energy levels. And I know it can do the same for you. Green tea contains health-promoting polyphenols, including a powerful antioxidant, which has been the subject of extensive scientific research. 
Isn't it time you pour on these multiple health benefits for yourself? Green tea supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, and yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have used green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC, and more recently, volume of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of mega green tea extract is all you need. Give your body what it needs. Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. Smartclickidea.com. Coming up on episode 67 of Conspiracy Unlimited, Esoteric Hollywood, a deconstruction of the deeper messages, symbols, and predictive programming subtexts that underlie modern film. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.